We are brought to you by Legal Inc. Estate Planning. Listen, you wouldn't dine and dash, so why would you leave your family in the hands of the courts and the government when you pass away? Most people think they don't have enough to start estate planning or that it's too expensive. Things like wills and a trust. While those are valid reasons, they're limiting beliefs, guys, to creating and keeping the wealth that you want to have. Listen, it's free to talk to Michael to learn more about what you can do today to protect your tomorrow and live your best life. Wills are necessary, especially if you have a home and kids. And a trust is the number one way to build and retain your wealth. So it's your life. It's your story. Make it a good one. Visit LegalLifePlan.com to schedule your first conversation with Michael and tell him that the Thinking Project sent you. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. Okay, guys, we're also brought to you by Happiest. Happiest is your number one place to go for premium CBD products that won't break the bank. And I promise you guys that if you check these out, you won't be disappointed. They've got something for everybody. It's THC free, which means it comes with a work safe guarantee. Whether you need a roll on for your muscles and your joints, you need a sleep aid to get your day ending right, or you need uh, their number two get your day started right. Uh, they got something for everybody. They're quality, uh, lab tested, third party tested. It's all good. Go check them out. Happiestmed.com, H-E-P-I-U-S-M-E-D.com and tell them that the Thinking Project sent you. All right. Happy Monday, everybody. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Drew Manning, who's the Fit to Fat to Fit creator. And uh, he's currently on his second Fit to Fat to Fit journey, his Fit to Fat to 40. Uh, He's a New York Times author. Uh, Fit to Fat to Fit is the first book he uh, wrote and then uh, a complete guide to keto. Uh, You can follow him on Instagram, Fit to Fat to Fit. Uh, Look up Drew Manning. He's uh, very inspirational. And our conversation was nothing short of incredible. Uh, You can see the live if you join our Facebook group or uh, just keep listening because it was an amazing conversation about empathy, about loving yourself and about, you know, how to be healthy and love yourself at the same time. So uh, his journey, his conversations that we had were absolutely fantastic. So without further ado, please welcome Drew Manning, Fit to Fat to Fit Creator. Welcome everybody. This is Dalton Jensen. And you're tuning into The Thinking Project. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, how are you? Good. It's Dalton, right? Yeah, yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, Drew. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you being here. Let me uh, get one thing set up real quick. Um, I guess I should ask this. Uh, <laughs> Do you mind? I have a private Facebook group that's got a couple hundred people in it. Do you mind if we go live to that Facebook group? Yeah. No is an yeah. okay answer. Okay. No, that's okay. All right, cool. Well, I, I appreciate oh, well, you being anything here. different on my end. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't have to do anything no. different on my end, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, you're good. You're good. So um, while I'm getting this set up, um, you're, you're part Hawaiian. Yeah, I am. That's great. I, I I found that out and I was like, um, that's great. Me too. Oh, you are? My my mom is from, my mom is Hawaiian and she's from Kauai. Okay. She, she actually lives there right now. She lives on Kapa'a. Okay. Um, that's then, awesome. Yeah. And my, so my grandpa is like Hawaiian, Hawaiian. And yeah. That's, that's cool, cool, man. <laughs> and where do you live? <clears throat> so I live in North Salt Lake, Utah. Oh, dude. Yeah. I was just, oh, <laughs> have we ever run into each other? Maybe. I saw, you know what? I was looking on your website. I did a, yeah, I did a yeah. little bit of research and I was like, 
that legacy parkway you did that video yeah. on your on your landing page <laughs> i was like yeah right outside literally so right outside my house <laughs> oh, okay yeah i just moved i sold my house i'm moving back to hawaii well not back there i guess i grew up on the mainland obviously okay but um you know uh yeah i'll be in on the big island that's where my dad's from Oh, that's great. Um, in in June, so a little over a month, and I'll be moving out there, which is cool to get back to my roots because I didn't really grow up out there. I didn't really understand, you know, know a lot about the culture, but it's, yeah. It, yeah, I'm excited. That's way cool. Yeah. That's yeah. great. And uh, I was like, I was super excited to see that because, um, you know, it's always fun to see that, you know, like, uh, <clears throat> because I don't like I, I get it all the time. Like I don't look Hawaiian. Yes. You know, my dad is, my dad is Russian. So uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, I promise like, you know, yeah. I, got, I got the tattoo on my arm as well. You know, okay. to, to do my stuff for my, cause cool. I like that part of it. You know, I like the, the paying homage to the culture of yeah. that. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, well, well, thanks so much for being here. I mean, um, Drew Manning, I, I followed you for quite a long time on Instagram. Um, I recently got your book. Um, so you're an author, you're a podcast host, you're, you're a TV personality. You do it all, man. That, I try. <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and I'm super grateful that, that you are, are with me. Um, I, I kind of want to start uh, because we talked a little bit about our, our similarities, but I also wrestled like, so I grew up in Iowa, which makes my, which makes wow. me being Hawaiian even more weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I, but I wrestled for, for a really, really long time. And so I, I enjoyed, um, you did a podcast with Rob Eastman. Um, yeah. and, uh, yep. Rob's the, Rob's the, I, I think he's the coach of Bountiful now. Is that yeah. right? I think, I think so. so. And, uh, and which is, you know, I, I really enjoyed that podcast as well. You, you know, you've had, a, you've, you've been all over the place. And so um, it's great. But uh, I wanted to start off first with, um, you know, kind of like your, your journey. I mean, um, you started this back in like 2009, 2011 ish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was reading, you know, I'm like, I'm like in, into the first few chapters of the book, but it starts off with, with James and Megan. Yeah. And these, and these kind of, I, I mean, I, I really like the story with James and uh, you know, it's just the whole empathy, this whole empathy story. So, I mean, like, I don't need to tell your story. I think you can do it better than me. Sure. Obviously. So go, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. So uh, back in 2011, I came up with this idea to gain weight on purpose, which sounds crazy, but a little bit of backstory. I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters sisters and I played football and wrestled like you did, um, you know, since I was a young kid. So I was always active. I was always fit. I'd always been in shape. And then I decided to become a personal trainer, which, you know, here I was someone who had never been overweight a day in my life, (laughs) trying to help people who were overweight pretty much every day of their life. And so there was an obvious disconnect and I couldn't understand why it was so hard for my clients just to do the stuff that was easy for me, like eat healthy food, work out, like be disciplined, like that kind of stuff came so easy for me. Why did my clients struggle? And then, you know, my, my brother-in-law at the time, James was like, dude, you don't understand how hard it is for me or for people like me, because for you, it's always been easy. And I'm like, I couldn't argue with that. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I don't understand why it's so hard. You just do it. You put down the junk food, you go to the gym, like why it's so hard. And then, (laughs) so I was thinking of ideas, like obviously I didn't understand. And then boom, this idea entered my mind and this light bulb went off like, Oh my gosh, what if you actually did this crazy experiment, documented it, 
would it give you better understanding? And maybe it would be entertaining for people to watch. And so to make a long story short, <clears throat> six months, I let myself go completely. I uh, documented the whole journey of gaining weight. Um, you know, no exercise for six months, ate a standard American diet. So lots of like sugary cereal and chips and cookies and crackers and processed food that we have here in America that tastes delicious. Don't get me wrong. But I put on 75 pounds of pure fat during that time frame. And then the story just kind of went viral. Like I went on a bunch of TV shows, you know, yeah. Dr. Oz, Jay Leno. And then the yeah, you guys saw you with Piers Morgan. Yeah. Yeah, Piers Morgan. Yeah, Dr. Drew, like uh, The View, <laughs> all these crazy TV shows because people were like, why would someone do this to themselves? And so I wanted to yeah. uh, really have a better understanding. And it was one of the hardest, most humbling things I've ever done. I realized how wrong I was in my approach to helping people and thinking it was easy. Um, because the two big lessons that I learned from that were, one is um, how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. And, you know, uh, me, you know, never being a food addict or addicted to food, didn't, I didn't really understand why people couldn't just put down the junk food. Yeah, And there is a strong emotional connection that is way overlooked that I didn't understand. I think a lot of people don't understand unless you've been in someone's shoes that is a food addict. <clears throat> and, um, and then the second thing is how much of transformation is mental and emotional. We try and make it so physical, like, okay, here's your macros, here's your calories, here's your workouts, and you do all these physical things, when in reality, the, that person doesn't really struggle so much with the physical side of it. It's more so the mental and emotional stuff that's you know, keeping them from living a healthy lifestyle consistently. And that's where the, the two biggest lessons were learned during that first experiment. Yeah, which and when when you were talking about that, you know, because this is your story and I and I love it. And when you were talking about that, you know, you you were also talking about um, like this empathy, like coming from a place of of being very empathetic. And I think uh, one of the things that I like to talk about with some of my guests because it's it's really personal to me is this idea of like the science behind like addiction. Right. Like if you've never experienced like any form of addiction, it can be like, well, I, I think you mentioned this in your book, like in the first couple chapters, you're like, well, you know, you chose this addiction and then you chose to stay in this addiction. Yeah. And that's uh, that's pretty hard, like for people to who haven't ever. I mean, that's I feel like that's kind of like the mainstream. Right. Um, if yeah. if uh, if you kind of get out of people who who've experienced any type of addiction. Right. So what was that like for you? Um, how did you change your your training once you had that empathy for people in like, you know, in, in like some people aren't addicted, you know, I guess, yeah. I guess some people are like need, need a good kick in like the ass or something, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but some people are, I mean, so, some yeah. people, this is real. So how did you change your approach? Yeah. So my approach went from focusing only on the physical side, which is all I knew. That's what I was trained to do was help people with their meal plans, their macros, their calories, the diet they're doing, the workouts, the supplements they're taking. And that's all I could relate to. I couldn't relate to their emotional struggles with food addiction. But here's what I've learned about addiction over the years is instead of asking why the addiction is, you should ask why the pain. What pain are you trying to cover up? Whether it's food, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, I don't care what the addiction is. It's a behavior. Whether we gravitate towards different substances or not is, is irrelevant in my opinion. People like to think, oh, food addiction is healthier for you because you're not doing drugs. Well, you're essentially doing the same behavior with similar things that are like drugs that are damaging to your body. But it's, it's usually yeah. because we're trying to numb the pain of some type of emotional trauma or challenge that we went through. And instead of dealing with that emotional pain, 
we look for substances to distract us temporarily from having to deal with that. So like I said, food, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, TV shows, movies, social media, all these little <laughs> things give us these little dopamine hits in our brain and make it feel like, oh, I'm happy for a minute or two as I'm eating this ice cream or, or drinking this this wine or this alcohol, whatever it is. Like it it de- definitely numbs the pain temporarily. And so we look for things like that throughout our life and and years and decades of that, you can imagine how hard it is to break that cycle, especially with food, because food isn't illegal. Food is, you could go to the grocery store and buy it and there's marketing like pushed at you, like, hey, buy this food, buy this food. There's no marketing for cocaine or or heroin like pushed on you like in TV commercials and the grocery store. So food's a little bit different because we still need to eat to survive. And not everyone that eats cinnamon toast crunch is going to get addicted to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's the, that's the hard part with addiction, right. Is some people can yeah. handle it and some people, some people can handle whatever substance right? and other people can't. And uh, I think knowing yourself is a big deal, but I like exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So that's kind of what, you know, where I'm at with addiction, food addiction, whether, whatever kind of addiction it is, just being aware of it. And that's the thing is through therapy, life coaching, meditation, books, podcasts, things that help you build your self-awareness to realize, okay, what is happening in these moments of gravitating towards these substances, whether it's food or porn or drugs or alcohol, what is it that I'm, why am I trying to, what am I trying to cover up? What am I trying to numb? Uh, you know, in these moments and becoming aware of it, like, oh, okay, anytime I feel stressed when I get in a fight with my spouse, this emotion is triggered. What does that stem from? Does that stem from some kind of childhood trauma that you haven't released yet? Or does that stem from some kind of wound that you haven't repaired? Maybe you need therapy, maybe you need life coaching, maybe you need something to help release that because until you do, it's going to manifest itself in a physical form, you know, through different things that distract us from that emotional pain. And so that's kind of what I've learned over the years is that, and that's why it's not as simple as like, Hey, people just eat less and work out. That's like going up to up to a drug addict and saying, Hey, stop doing drugs. Like, just don't do it. And your life will be better. It's like, well, duh, people know that, but (laughs) there's an obvious reason people keep, you know, are, are addicted to it still. And it's more complicated than people think. And that's all I'm trying to do with this journey of fit to fight to fit. And then doing it again a second time is to bring more awareness to this industry of how much of a mental and emotional transformation this is for people. And it's not as simple as calories in and calories out and just working out more and eating less. Like I wish it were that simple, but it's so intertwined with the emotional journey that we're all on. And we just have to recognize that and realize that people are doing the best they can with what they have at that moment. Mm-hmm. And until they know better, they, you know, they're not going to do better until they figure out that self-awareness of like, okay, this stems from this thing. How do I overcome this thing? How do I let that go? Because if I just try and willpower my way to eating healthy food, it's probably not going to work out in the long run because you only have so much willpower and not everyone can be a David Goggins, you know, (laughs) like not everyone can become (laughs) these, these crazy disciplined guys. Like it's just, it's just the way, you know, it is. Well, yeah. And, uh, and one of the reasons I started this podcast was to kind of get that message out to people that like, um, just starting like on whatever journey you want to start on, like with business owners, right? Like, I feel like a lot of people don't start the health journey for a lot of reasons that people start, don't start a business journey. And that's because they don't think they're going to become like the David Goggins or the Jeff Bezos or something like that. Right. And I don't think at the start, that's what it's about. I think at the start, it's about you know, um, you know, especially with health, like what you're talking about, it's about knowing who you are. It's about you know, just that, that desire to start being healthier. Maybe you may, you know what I mean? So how do you have that conversation with your clients? Like, uh, when, 
you know, I'm sure clients come to you by this, at this point, they know kind of what you're, you know, what you're about and, and what you're doing. Um, but I'm sure there's an, like, you know, a conversation at the beginning that talks about, uh, that, that has to do with like, you know, this emotional and, and mental side of yeah. things. Like, how does that go for you? Yeah. So it's similar to this journey with fit to 40, my second time doing this experiment as a yeah. 40 year old, um, a lot of the stuff that I did in the beginning when I started to lose the weight actually had nothing to do with weight loss. And this is it was really surprising to people, but I was like, okay, the first week, all we're going to focus on is little things uh, that help train our brain to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So this is the, when it comes to any kind of transformation, physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, you have to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations and you have to train your brain to do that. So making your bed, for example, that's the first thing I have people do that doesn't get you a six pack. It's not going to help you lose weight, but it's a mental discipline thing that starts off your morning in the right direction. We're like, okay, I made my bed today. Uh, Yeah. That didn't help me burn any calories, but you know, I made my bed. That's one thing I can be perfect in. And then from there, taking a cold shower, cold showers suck. Who wants to take a cold shower? No one, but we built a life of comfort to like, to the point where any kind of discomfort you have nowadays, there's a medicine for that. There's a technology for that. You know, if you're cold, you just turn the heater on in your house, right? Like if you're hot, you turn the air conditioning on, you want warm water for your bath. Like you want warm water for your shower. You want a fridge, like ice cold (laughs) drink. Like we have all these comforts. So to become, to, to see progress, you have to become uncomfortable. And then you have to become comfortable in those uncomfortable situations so you don't just give up after the first day. So taking a cold shower for 60 seconds, yeah, it's not easy. But what you're trying to do is train your brain in those 60 seconds to relax and realize mm. that you're going to be okay. You're not going to die. It's, it's going <laughs> to suck for 60 seconds, but you yeah. will be okay. And there's benefits to that. And then you're like, okay, if I can do this now, hopefully I can build on that. And then when it comes to eating healthy food, which isn't always the tastiest food, it's not as delicious as pizza. But now I can become comfortable in this uncomfortable situation where I'm a little bit hungry. I'm eating less calories. I'm eating, you know, real food, which doesn't taste as good. It's an uncomfortable thing to do. But now my brain's trained to become comfortable. Same thing with working out. You're tired. You're sore. It's hard. You're sweating during the workout. Like it's very uncomfortable. (laughs) But you have to train your brain like, hey, it's okay. We will be okay. Push through this. And we will be happier on the other side of this. And so that's all like what I have people do. And so there's other things wow. like med- meditation, positive mm-hmm. affirmations, a gratitude list, um, these other things that have nothing to do with weight loss, but really are training your brain to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Yeah, I really, I really like that. And I don't think I've ever heard that approach. Um, I feel like that's a great approach to starting like anything because uh, especially yeah. with weight loss, um, it's so easy to like, it's kind of like, um, you know, when you're trying to quit smoking, it's, it's at this point where it's like pretty socially acceptable that if you got to like go out and like smoke, like do what you got to do and like eating. Right. So like, I don't, I don't at work. It's like, Hey, let's just go. It's very easy to like, and there's peer pressure, right? Like, like, Hey, we're all going out to eat. Like, why don't you just come with us? And I know that I'm going into like an unhealthy situation. So I like the fact that like, there's this idea that, you know, you're gonna, like taking a cold shower, making your bed, these gratitude lists, because it gets you ready for this, um, this, these confrontations that are like inevitably going to happen. Like, it's just, yeah. you know what I mean? They're just yeah. there. So yeah. uh, that's really cool. How, and, and uh, do you ever get like, like pushback on this first week? Like, why am I not, why are we not working out crazy or anything like that? 
Yeah, people ask that, but then I think people trust me. So over this time doing yeah. Fit to Fight to Fit twice now, I, I, I kind of have built this relationship of trust where people trust me knowing that I, I, what I'm telling them is, is going to be helpful because me gaining the weight puts me in a position where like, I feel like people's guards are down. They're like, okay, you're not this ripped, shred, ripped shredded guy anymore that has 5% body fat telling me I need to lose weight. Now you're like me. And now there's this relatability factor and this trust that's there. And so when I say, hey, the first week, all we're going to do for physical activity is walk, but then we're going to make our beds, take a cold shower, we're going to meditate. And you see a difference in people's ability to stick with the program, with the physical side, because if you take care of the emotional stuff first and you're in a good place mentally and emotionally, the physical stuff is so much easier to follow. Instead of just Mm -hmm. willpowering your way into it, you're shifting your perception of the physical side of it. Because what happens is people are like, okay, I know what to do to lose weight. I need to eat less and I need to work out, which sucks, but I'm going to do that as, you know, if, as long as I see the results, you know, if I see yeah. results, <laughs> then I'll keep putting up with the process. The process yeah. is very uncomfortable. The process is not easy. What I'm trying to do is get people to fall in love with the process, not for the results, because not everyone's going to get 5% body fat. Not everyone's going to look shredded and lose the weight, which they think is going to magically make them happy. But if I could teach them to fall in love with the process now, then they realize that they can be happy during the process, during the journey, instead of saying, okay, once I can relax at the top of the mountain, then I'll be happy. Or once I get this much money, (laughs) then I'll be happy. Once I get this body, then I'll be happy. And people always like go throughout life, like one day I'll be happy when this happens. But it's a myth. And you can choose to be happy now. It's just shifting your perception of your situation, even though you're not where you want to be. Like maybe you're you're still like 50% body fat, and you're not like ripped and shredded, you don't have this body that you want, that's okay. You can still love yourself and enjoy the process because you're worth fighting for. Your physical health is worth fighting for. Not so much to get the body, but because it feels good to be healthy. It feels good to have healthy habits. And that's what we should be chasing instead of like, you know, this 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 Instagram model body that we think is mm-hmm. gonna make us happier. Yeah. And I mean, that's so true. And I think that you hit the nail on the head with that. Like people should want to be healthy just because like, I I like how you mentioned a lot of things, you know, like being able to play catch with like your daughter, um, being able to do the things that you want to do. Right. And not be limited by, uh, by your body because your body should be a tool, right. To like help you get out there and stuff. Um, did you think like when you started, like when you were, when you were going through this journey, um, what prompted you, to even have the conversation with yourself. Cause I mean, it, it takes a lot of self-awareness to understand like that. M- I don't have empathy, right? Like yeah. I'm trying to coach this person and I have no clue what they're going through. How did you come to that realization? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it, it's a, it was a long journey, you know, started way before fit to fit the first time. I just realized that the first time uh, when I did this journey, I knew I was lacking something. I couldn't understand why people, you know, uh, couldn't just do what I could do. Right. And so I wanted to go on this journey to gain a better understanding. And during that journey of being humbled, that's where I started to, you know, develop more empathy. Cause I was like, man, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I had no idea people go through this. I had no idea how mental and emotional this transformation is. 
I had no idea any of that until I actually went through it, right? The first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then from there over the years of doing like my own self-development, my own like, you know, personal work on myself, like going through life situations, um, I developed into, you know, a better human because of that and, you know, became more empathetic through the first journey. And then now here I am the second time doing it again um, to spread more awareness of the importance of empathy. But then also being humbled again and the second journey, uh, which was a lot harder than the first one. Like I didn't expect that, but I learned even more empathy having done it a second time. Like, like uh, the 40, right? Because yeah, it was 40. like, in Dece- yeah, it was in December you turned 40. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, cr- that's great. And I would imagine, you know, I would imagine that it would be harder, but I think it's really cool that you did it at 40 because your whole body is different at 40, right? Yeah. You're almost like a whole new person. Like when you're like for 18, 25, 35, 40, like, uh, and, and being able to reach like, and understand like the, you know, the 40 kind of like age group. Right. Um, that's really cool. So you mentioned like um, going through your self-development journey. You also mentioned like when you're on the podcast with uh, the Stand and Fight podcast, um, you know, you mentioned one of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, like Daring Greatly. That book was amazing. Um, What else do you like along with like the physical journey? Do you I mean, prescribe is the only word I can think of right now. But like, do you prescribe like these books and, and maybe some courses or something like that? Like, how do you work on this with people? Yeah. Well, I tell people what's worked for me. Like I tell them okay. which books I've yeah. read and how those books have helped me. I've told, I've told them like, okay, I do go to therapy. Um, here's this life coach that I went to. I've even mentioned her name and what, like the, what it's based off of. It's based off of a Byron Katie's uh, book called loving what is, and it's called the work yeah. and that has really helped me. I also talk about, you know, you know, meditation and why that helps me. So I talk about like my experience, cause I know that's not universal. Like what helps me isn't going to help everyone. You know, the same thing with sure. diet, like the diet that I do and the exercise that I do isn't going to work for everyone. It's about finding what works best for you. So here's the tools I've used that I've found helpful for me and lots of people that follow me. But maybe if you haven't tried it out, maybe try it out, but also be open to discovering new things that might help you on your journey. But yeah, that's kind of what I do is I share from my experiences what has worked for me. And, you know, just to list again, the things like, uh, you know, therapy, life coaching, books, podcasts, meditation, gratitude list, positive affirmations, cold showers, making your bed, like these kinds of uh, stuff on the mental and emotional side have helped me, you know, I've always been able to be able to, you know, be physically fit. It's been a part of my life for a long time, but you know, it's one thing to be physically fit, but it's another thing to be mentally, emotionally, spiritually fit as well, because there's a lot of people that are in great physical shape, but still are miserable, still hate themselves, still hate the world, still are mad, still aren't happy. So, and there's a lot of people that are rich that have it all from the outside, but are still unhappy. Does that make sense? So it's like, Oh, for sure. There's always work to be done no matter what position you're in in life, you know? Yeah. And I think what you, you nailed it earlier to kind of come back to this idea that like, it's not about, um, some kind of end goal because I don't, you know, and I go, I even go as far as to say like happiness, isn't the goal. Like you can have peace. And I think peace is, is the goal, right? Because like, uh, I might not be happy during a lot of these like really hard times, like being really uncomfortable. Like I take, I try to take cold showers and, uh, it's really hard. Like, and, uh, and I actually, 
um, went to a breathing coach before I started taking cold showers because I was like, cause the first time you jump in a cold shower, it's like, like oh, it's yeah. physically almost impossible <laughs> to breathe. Like if you've never yeah. done it before, right. And yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, that's hard. And so like, how do you breathe? How do you control yeah. your breath? Like what, what do you say to yourself? Um, and, and in those times it's, it's not happy, but it's peaceful. And, um, and certainly I think that's what, like, when you talk about like, you know, how some rich people aren't, ha- aren't like satisfied or peaceful. Um, and it really isn't like you mentioned in your book, it's really not black and white. Like I just had a conversation about that. Uh, a friend called me and uh, he was like, Hey, you, you know, do you think life is as black and white as you think? And I was like, dude, that's a loaded question for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because like, it, it's not black and white. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, uh, and cause there's a lot of things that you have to learn how to do and, and a lot of things you got to, to work towards. Um, so what was it like for you? Like, um, because you're also like an author and I've interviewed a few authors before and, and podcast hosts. And, um, why did you choose to like write books and go and go podcasting? I mean, there's a lot of different avenues, um, you know, you take and you can take, um, but why, why did you choose like to write a book and to, and to go through these kinds of things? Well, the book kind of came, fell on, it came to me. Like I didn't, set out like, Hey, let me do this journey and then write a book about it. I did the journey. The book deal came to me. And, um, and so it kind of fell on my lap and I was like, well, I've never written a book before. If there's a demand for this, then I'll do it because it's a, it's a platform that still people still read books. So I did that in 2011, 2012 when I did my first journey. And then, um, I did it again in 2018 with my second book, Complete Keto, which is a, a keto-based book, but kind of taking the mental and emotional stuff I learned from Fit to Fat to Fit and tying it into a ketogenic, you know, lifestyle. Um, but anyways, um, so the book thing is just, it's, it's, it's like podcasting. It's another platform because not everyone's going to listen to your podcast and not everyone's going to read your book and not everyone's going to read your blog. Not everyone's going to watch your YouTube videos. Not everyone's going to see your social media posts. So to get your message across, you have to be on multiple platforms, putting your, your message out there so that people understand who you are. Cause not everyone's going to fault, see every Instagram post or every podcast you put out there. Mm-hmm. And you're, so you're on, um, you know, I, I follow your podcast as well. I mean, that's one of the things I love, but, uh, you're, you're kind of on the down, you were just in Hawaii. And I think when you were in Hawaii, you had, you were on like, you had like six weeks, six weeks left to get back to fit. Right. So you're still in this journey of the fit to fat to 40. Yeah. How are you feeling right now? How's everything <laughs> so yeah, going? I'm, I'm about three and a half weeks away from my final weigh in. Right. So I've okay. I gained 62 pounds this time around on, on the second journey. Um, and I have until May 7th to lose the weight and I have about 13 and a half pounds left to go. So, um, you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, yeah. it's just, uh, it's hard. It's been really hard. This journey has been really hard and it's yeah. taught me a lot of lessons, more lessons this time around than the yeah. first time. But being 40, I do notice like, you know, I'm more sore. Uh, it's harder, you know, I don't recover as quickly you know, my back and my hips get really tight unless I'm like on top of stretching out. Like I, I can't sit down all day. Yeah. There's little things that are different that I noticed being 40 versus the first time when I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned like, like different lessons 
you know, and, and more unexpected lessons from the fit to fat to 40. What are some, what's like the biggest one? What's the one that comes to your mind when, when you say, um, when, when you think of the lessons that you've learned in this one, cause I'm sure there's a lot, but yeah, for me, it was, it, 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 and here's it, the biggest lesson I learned this time around was the, how powerful emotional eating is because mm-hmm. here's the thing. I, I, I understand it on a, some level, like I've never been a food addict, for even during my journey, like I loved the food, but I wouldn't say I became addicted to it. But this time around the second journey, I went through a really hard breakup, uh, in the middle of my fit to fat journey. So gaining the weight at my heaviest, I, I went through a really hard breakup with my girlfriend. It, you know, being out there in the public eye, it sucks. Cause you have to address that stuff. You have to talk about that. And people want to know like what's happening. Um, and that was really, really hard and depressing for me to be honest with you. Um, and so, before I was eating the food to gain the weight, like, but it also tasted good for sure. <laughs> but then something switched. And when I was depressed and sad and lonely because mm. of my breakup and I had access to all this food, the food became, you know, those little dopamine hits I talked about before it mm. legit helped me temporarily. Like Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I think it's Netflix and chilled, uh, <laughs> dairy free. It's so good, man. It's so good. But Having that in those moments, yeah, you know, the long term wasn't helpful, but in the short term, there is something to say about how good it makes you feel temporarily. And then having like a couple glasses of wine or some type of alcohol to numb the pain, I was like, oh man, I see why people do this behavior when they're down in life and life is really hard for them because you you feel good temporarily. And so I'm not condoning that behavior by any means because sure, it's definitely sure. not healthy, but I understand it on such a deeper level now. And I, my eyes were really open to just how powerful that tool is because it's so available and accessible to everybody, especially as an adult, you can go to the grocery store and buy yourself ice cream or whenever you want to, like there's no parent or adult telling you, you can't have this. It's like, I can do whatever I want to. Right. And there's moments (laughs) of like feeling, you know, depression, there's something to say, like, I'm, and I'm sorry, salmon and broccoli just doesn't make you feel the same as binge eating some, <laughs> some ice cream. Yeah. And so it really yeah. opened up my eyes because it, it, the emotional eating thing really became powerful tool for me to help me through that hard time in my life. And luckily when I switched over to eating healthy again, I was able to exercise, which Exercise is the most powerful antidepressant out there. Um, you know, there's a study done mm-hmm. on comparing exercise to exercise and antidepressants and just antidepressants in three different groups where they would just put people on these protocols and exercise the exercise group only. They outperformed their scores uh, versus like, you know, their happiness levels and depression levels way better yeah. than de- de- uh, the anti-depression uh, medication and the exercise, um, you know, combined and then just antidepressant mm-hmm. medication, it outperformed that. So that's a very powerful tool. So having that, I think helped alleviate some of that. So to where I didn't, I still had cravings. I still had those emotional days where I'm just like, oh, I just want some ice cream, but having an exercise is a healthy outlet too. Yeah. What do you tell yourself? Like, during this journey in your head, what do you tell yourself on those days where like the cravings come up, the emotions come up? what kind of conversation do you have with yourself? That's a good question. I think for me, it's, it's that self-awareness. So being aware of like, okay, I know I'm a little bit sad today. I'm a little bit emotional 
And um, I kind of just, I'm able to play it out in my head. So this is what meditation does for me and for a lot of people is it helps you become the observer of your thoughts rather than attaching yourself to your thoughts. So you have people say you are what you think. I don't agree with that necessarily. If you have a level of self-awareness, if you have a level of self-awareness where you can detach yourself from your thoughts and realize, okay, these thoughts aren't me. They aren't, I'm not defined by my thoughts and I don't have to react to my thoughts. So in those moments of observing all these emotions and thoughts that are happening, I can just observe them and just play it out and be like, okay, do I want to go down this path of giving into these emotions and eating my emotions, which I know is a self-sabotage method. And I know that it's not going to lead to more happiness in the long run. Sure. Short term, I'm going to feel good, but do I want to go down that path? And so I'm, I'm able to more thoughtfully respond in those moments when I do want to give in to the food. Um, but, you know, instead of just reacting, a lot of times we react, but I'll be totally honest with you. I still have those moments being human where I, I play it out in my head and I have all these tools available to me. And I'm still like, you know what? Screw it. Give me the cake. Give me the pizza. Yeah. I'm going to have a few bites of it, but at least I'm able to control how much I eat of it. Like I don't just like go, go, go until like I puke. I'm able to <laughs> have a slice of pizza have some ice cream, be like, okay, I know what I'm doing. And this isn't the best behavior. This is self-sabotage, but I don't need to beat myself up over it. That's the yeah. worst thing you could do is feel guilt yourself and shame yourself for doing that. But just realizing, Hey, I'm human. It did it. I enjoyed it. It actually tasted good. And I don't need to beat myself up over it. But what I'm going to do is get right back on track, you know, with the very next meal or the very next day, just be like, all right, I can do hard things. I can, and then go back to those things that I mentioned, like, meditation, mm -hmm. gratitude, yeah. this, positive affirmations, and just realize that all those things are a part of your journey. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, even with all the awareness, self-awareness in the world, you're still going to be, you have those days where you're like, screw it. Give me the, give me the drink or whatever, <laughs> you know, but yeah. it's just yeah. having a better relationship with those moments, you know, and having a better relationship with yourself. That's a great point. I learned that in therapy too. One of the biggest lessons was like, just being able to label what's going on. Yeah. Right. And being able to know like that this is exactly what I'm feeling. Like we've gone over this. And and I like what you said too, because I, I've always like, I've learned uh, and I've always like told people that like thought control is a myth, right? Like um, you can't really control what comes into your head or what you think about, but you can manage it. And you can be like, you know, like you said, like these thoughts aren't my, like, aren't who I am. Yeah. Um, I can tell, you know, I can, I can feel these things and then I can move on. Um, you know, like acknowledge, ignore and, and, and yeah. manage, right. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Uh, actually acknowledge, isolate and manage my bed. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I really, I really like that because, uh, it's, you know, it is hard for people. Um, and I think that they're, I think your message of bringing more empathy into like the fitness and, and nutrition industry is one that should, I mean, it's, it's kind of surprising. Like when I was digging more into like what you do and your, and your whole systems and everything, like it did kind of surprise me how much there is like a lack of empathy in, in the fitness industry. Why do you yeah. think, why do you think that is like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I know you're trying to change it, but why do you think it's a prevailing thought? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's not so much just the industry. It's the society we live in that places so much value on physical appearance. Fair so, much. you know, celebrities and athletes and Instagram models get worshipped for their bodies. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's people on social media that have millions of followers and it's all just pictures of them in thongs. And I get why people gravitate towards that, but we 
defined ourselves by our bodies. Our body image has become our self image. And to detach from that takes a lot of work and takes a lot of like, you know, self-development to figure out, Hey, maybe there's more to me than just my body, but movies, TV shows, social media pushes people to be like, Hey, you got to look like this. You got to, you know, do this kind of makeup. And especially with girls, man, with women, (laughs) you know, being the dad of two girls, there's a lot of pressure on women to look a certain way. And it's really hard to not buy into that because everyone, all your friends are talking about it or they're putting pressure like, Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to wear this, you got to wear that. You got to look like this, like look at this video. And like, there's just so much pressure. So to break that is really hard. And in the fitness industry, it's the same thing. It's all focused on body image and the the people that are successful are the people that have the best bodies. So like, Oh, they're the, the gods of this little realm. Right. And so people are like, I need to look like that to be successful. I need to look like that to be healthy. And then people put pressure on themselves thinking like, Oh, if I look like this, then I'll be happy. And um, yeah, it's, it's hard to break that mold. Um, So that's why, you know, me, there's other people in the industry that are, more empathetic that mm-hmm. are pushing for uh, more of this awareness on the mental and emotional side. Uh, but it's, it's an uphill battle because at the end of the day, people are like, Oh, you don't have 5% body fat. You're a loser, you know, or, Oh, you're fat yeah, yeah. and you're shamed and guilted for looking the way you look. And I hope that it changes. I, I think slowly it's starting to, but it's going to take some awakening. Well, <laughs> yeah. There is going to have to be a big one. And, and from society on like a whole level. Um, yeah. Cause you talk about this too. And as like a girl dad, it, I feel the same way. So like, what kind of conversations do you have? I have two questions. I, yeah. I know we're like, we're going to wrap up, but, okay. um, you know, you talk about like what you teach your daughter. Um, what are some of the, like, what are some of the lessons that you try to convey to them and how do you teach them that? And then because, and I guess it kind of, they kind of tie in together. Like what's your definition of success uh, as far as like in the fitness and nutrition industry. And then how do you convey that message to, to like your daughter? Um, how do you, how would you tell like fathers to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me address the first part of the question and then I'll tie it into how I would you know address that to my kids or other you know parents out there. Success for me is not the body, like not getting the body for me. If we could shift our perception of what success is and realize that healthy can look different on everybody. Like it doesn't have to be 10% body fat or less to be healthy. Sure. If you're morbidly obese, losing weight, you know, is going to be healthy for you. If you want to live longer and be healthier for sure. But there's a difference between health and weight loss. And so if I could get people's perspective changed and realize that success isn't getting, isn't the weight loss part, isn't like getting skinny and getting fit and getting lean um, and realizing that, the success is falling in love with the process. Success mm-hmm. is falling in love with that journey and realizing that the, the happiness is in the journey. The happiness isn't getting to the destination. And yeah, so if yeah. I could get people to operate at a place of self-love versus self-hate, and what I mean by that is people right now are thinking, okay, success is to look this way, skinny. And in order to get there, I have to put up with this process, which sucks because I got to eat healthy food and eat less and work out. So I'm going to put up that process as long as I get these results. And once I get those results, then I'll be happy. That's kind of what people think. Right. What if success was loving yourself enough to realizing that you're worth it to fight for your physical health, no matter what the results are. Like if you, if you eat real food and you eat, you know, a healthy amount of food, not like tons of food, but like not starving yourself either. But like if you eat a healthy amount of like real food, right. Whole foods, and you exercise every day, 
some type of exercise, walking, running, biking, swimming, yoga, Zumba, weightlifting, CrossFit, whatever it is, some type of movement with your body that pushes yourself to do hard things. You're sleeping eight hours a night. You're sleeping through the night. You're managing your stress, whatever that looks like, religion, meditation, prayer. Like I, it doesn't matter to me. If you have those four pillars of health and you're like 30 pounds overweight still, and you're not like ripped and shredded, I could care less. Like, I think that's what the thing is, is like society is like, you have to be skinny to be successful. But what if this person's working out five days a week, they're eating, you know, real food, whether it's paleo or vegan or keto, I don't care, but they're either eating healthy, their blood work looks good. They're sleeping through the night. They're managing their stress. They're showing up the best version of themselves as a mom, a dad, a spouse, a business owner, employee, whatever it is. Why should we care what their body looks like? Why should we care yeah. how much fat they have on their body as long as they're you know, taking care of their physical health and they're doing it out of a place of self-love instead of self-hate? That's the perception I'm trying to shift in people's minds. It's like, look at that as success. Like fall in love with the process because you're worth it. Don't fall in love with the process and to get the results and thinking mm -hmm. the results are gonna make you happier. I promise you living a healthy lifestyle consistently is gonna make you happier. And so that's, that's the big shift that I'm trying to help people with. How do I convey that to other adults or to my daughters is I never, ever make it about weight. Even during this 55 to 40 journey, I would always tell them like, Hey, I'm eating this food. Yeah. It's making me gain fat on my body, but it's also making me unhealthier. It's affecting my sleep. So I'm as, I'm not as nice. I'm more grumpy, you know, around, you know, my daughters, I'm not as nice. I'm, I'm uh, have less patience with them. And so they were aware of that. They saw that side of me and I tried to tell them, look, this is what eating this food every single day does to you. It doesn't just make me gain fat. Um, it also affects my hormones. It affects my sleep. It affects, you know, me not being the happy dad that I usually am. And then they saw the opposite version of that, of me getting healthy and fit again. Um, and so we make it about health, not weight loss, about body image, but we make it about eating healthy, eating healthy food to be healthy, to feel good, to be yeah. happy. And then we, I make exercise, not about doing it to get skinny or doing it to get fit. It's doing it to become stronger. Like, mm -hmm. Hey, do this so that you become strong and it's good to be strong. Who cares what you look like? Who cares what size you are, but do yeah. these, you know, do some type of workout so that your body is strong right? In case you need to use your strength for something one day, like, and it's, it feels good to be strong, right? Uh, like yeah. playing on the monkey bars or riding your bike uphill. Yeah. It hurts your legs because it's building those muscles. And yeah, so yeah. that's what my advice would be to any parents out there is don't make it about weight or body image, make it about health with food. And then when it comes to exercise, make it about being strong and how cool it is to be strong. It doesn't matter like, you know, whether you have a six pack or not, but being strong is cool. And I think that's kind of the shift that I would recommend for parents. Yeah. I, well, I really agree with that. And, and I love what you said because that's something that I try to, to teach business owners and people like not to live transactionally, you know, yeah. eventually you have to graduate and you got to do the right things for the right reasons. And that's, and the right reasons are because they're, it's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. You know, I learned that in, in my stoicism, but um, well, that's great. Uh, and they can follow you on Instagram. People can buy your book on Amazon. Well, tell us, yeah. tell us how, to, how people can get a hold of you and find you. And then uh, yeah. uh, we'll wrap up boss. Yeah. It's super simple. So my brand is fit number two, fat number two, fit. So fit to fat to fit. That's all my social media handles. It's all the same. Okay. It's my website. So fit to fat to fit.com. My podcast is fit to fat to fit experience. 
my first book is fit to fit to fit fit to fit to fit. My second book is complete keto. You can find that on Amazon, but if you just go to fit to fit to fit.com, you'll see all my programs, my books, cool. everything on there. Cool. All right. And I'll link that and, uh, and I'll go ahead and end this Facebook live and, uh, yeah. Thanks Dalton for having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. Take it easy. Drew.